From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Now hear me out. That old song, the 12 days of Christmas, are not the 12 days leading up to Christmas. They are the 12 days of Christmas. And I hate to bring grammar into it, but that's a genitive, which means that we start with Christmas Day and we go for a total of 12 in a row, which means that Christmas is a 12-day season, not a single day. All of, where does all this come from? It comes from uh, a creation of the church, frankly. It's called the church calendar. And the church calendar was created in hopes that we would become more like Jesus Christ by paying close attention to moments that happen within the life of Christ every single year. The idea is that throughout the year, we would set aside entire seasons and holy days on which we would contemplate deeply different moments and occurrences in the life of Jesus Christ and figure out how we can more deeply participate in his mystery. For example, Easter is when we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead. Now, to be precise, Easter is not in the Bible. You know that, right? Easter is not in the Bible. Resurrection stories are in the Bible, but there's no such thing as Easter in the Bible. The church, however, came along and said, you know, the resurrection story is kind of a big deal, so we ought to tell that one every year. And so that's why we created Easter to continue to tell that particular story of resurrection. But Easter itself is not in the Bible. So far, so good. Well, that's how it is with Christmas as well. Christmas is not in the Bible. But it is the time of year where Christians retell the story of Jesus' birth to more deeply participate in that understanding. So you fast forward to American Christianity in our time, and, you know, most of the time we basically treat Christmas and Easter the same way. One day is good enough. And instead of treating Easter as a 50-day season, we quit after one day. And instead of letting Christmas work its full magic for 12 days as it was designed, most of us usually pack it up by the next day. So in the church, it is still Christmas. And if my counting is right... I think we're on day eight. In the version of the song I grew up with, I think that was eight maids a milking or something. Is that the same for y'all too? Okay, good. 
This is, as you saw on the front of your booklet, the Feast of the Holy Name, the eighth day. Eight days after Jesus was born is the day that we keep the feast. You always know it's a feast when the priests wear nothing but white and gold. That's a feast. We are feasting on the eighth day. This is the day that Jesus was circumcised and given his name. Now, this was in keeping with a prescription from the Torah, God's law. On the eighth day, Jewish boys were to be circumcised and be given their name. Now, for some of us, this scene could certainly just be considered yet another interesting or not so interesting plot detail. But that has not stopped visual artists, musical artists like Bach, for example, and theological artists from reflecting upon this eighth day when Jesus was circumcised and given his name. In retrospect, theologians noticed that this was actually the first time that Jesus's blood was shed. In retrospect, theologians noticed that this actually demonstrates that Jesus really is human and not just floating off the ground two inches. In retrospect, theologians noticed that Jesus actually did fulfill all of the requirements of Torah. But I don't want to focus on either of those. I want to focus instead on the name that was, did you catch the verb? Given to him. Names are gifts. You have to be given a name. The name Jesus in their language is the same name, same word as Joshua. It means Savior. On the eighth day, this baby was given the name Savior. On this day, the eighth day, this small, fragile, poor baby was given the name Salvation. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at a little baby, but I'm not sure that you and I would ever look at a little baby and think, salvation, savior. But that is the name that is given to this baby. The name of Jesus is rescue. The name of Jesus is salvation, which means what? The name of Jesus is you could say it's a life from death. The name of Jesus is liberation from bondage. The name of Jesus is love embodied. The name of Jesus is above all other names. The name of Jesus has power to break chains. The name of Jesus has power to cancel debts. The name of Jesus brings healing to old wounds. The name of Jesus brings freedom from our past. The name of Jesus is a sweeping victory. The name of Jesus has saved me. And Merry Christmas, it has saved you. The Philippians text declares that at the name of Jesus, at the name of salvation, everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, everyone under the earth, and that's a lot of people, 
bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has come. Salvation is here. You should receive that as good news because you have no idea just how deeply loved you already are by God. And if I can just let you all the way under the hood, like you wanna know why this whole church, Holy Family exists? It's basically that. We're convinced that you have no idea how deeply loved you already are by God. And we're trying to show you that deepest truth and dare you to believe it. In Jesus Christ, salvation is here. Not quite. Honestly, I would. But, 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 but. Humility is hard, isn't it? The very name of Jesus is salvation. The very name of Jesus is savior. But let's not play religious games with one another. You're the type of person that woke up on the first day of the new year after New Year's Eve and said, I'm going to go to church. So I just feel I ought to owe it to you to not play a religious game with you because you made it here, okay? Let's talk honestly about humility. It takes real humility to think that you actually need a savior. I mean, my whole life, your whole life, our collective lives are constructed in a way to try to always convince other people and secretly ourselves that I don't really need saving. I'm good. In fact, we make a virtue out of being self-sufficient. And we always look with pity upon someone who has to admit that they have to rely on others. And we go, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry. Some of us, now I get it, some of us have been hurt by other people who have really overblown savior complexes. They are not good saviors. But that doesn't mean that we actually don't need saving. It just means they've got a savior complex they need to get over. To say that you need saving, to say that you need help, to say that you are reliant upon others, that you need rescue, that does not mean that you are not capable of goodness. It doesn't mean that you have no value. Just the opposite. It means that you are finally able to tell an accurate story about the limits of your own creatureliness. It means you're finally able to just tell the truth about the limits of your own finitude and say, I'm not God and I'm done trying to pretend like I am for you, for me, for anyone. And look, just so we're clear, I don't judge you if you are not yet comfortable saying that you need a savior. No judgment from me. If you've ever been in a room where people are actively working the recovery steps from an addiction that has totally gripped their lives, you know that it takes real virtue 
real courage, real bravery, to put your hand up and say, hi, my name is, and I am powerless over, by you putting your hand up and saying, my name's Bob, you are saying, my name is not the name of salvation. By you putting your hand up and saying, my name is Bob, you are saying, my name is not the Savior that has come to rescue me from the power that has me in its clutches. To say that takes real humility, and it's not easy to do. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is not thinking that you are the worst. Weirdly, that's actually making humility about you. That's a weirdly self-centered understanding of humility, is making yourself the lowest and the least. Humility is not what you think about you. Humility is what you think about others. A humble person does not think that they are awful. A humble person gasses up everyone that they meet. Humility is not you thinking that you're terrible. Humility is you thinking everybody you meet is amazing. Humility is how you treat other people. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can, you can adopt that way of living. You can adopt that mode of interacting with other people where you just choose to lift them up. And you don't have to destroy yourself to do that, but you must make a choice to make much of other people. I think this is why Mary's child intimidates those in power. Because if you have power, the one thing that you cannot deal in is humility. As the story goes, King Herod hears about Jesus and his bones begin to rattle. What is it about Jesus that makes a king's sweat beat up on his brow? How can a little baby wrapped in linens make Herod's heart beat louder and louder and louder inside of his chest and his head? Some of us, some of you, will look at Jesus and stand in awe of the gentleness of God. But you know, there are some who look at Jesus and are threatened. And in some ways, I respect that because they get it. They know that their charade of power is about to be exposed for what it is. And perhaps some of us can recognize that there have been times in our lives when we have responded in both of these ways to Jesus. And the name of Jesus is hope. If you're hopeless, it is a light in the fog. It is a beacon for the lost. It is a way out of no way. It is falling rains on arid fields and it is an epiphany of bright light for those in darkness. And yet, that very same name of Jesus is a thief 
coming in the night for those who think that they can rule over others. It is a famine for the proud and the lofty. It is a reckoning for those who continue to transform justice into poison. And it is a sign that there is another way of leading this world, but it only walks the way of humility. And some people are just not strong enough or ready enough to be humble. If you made a New Year's resolution to lead a Jesus-centered life, know this, that with Jesus Christ, greatness is humility and success is how you serve other people, period. Furthermore, next Sunday is the Sunday when we commemorate the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means if you have already been baptized, this is a chance for you to renew your baptismal covenant. And if you have not been baptized, you should come tell me today after service. We would be honored to baptize you next Sunday. We do that here, and it's a lot of fun. In the year 300, Abba Apollo had kind of committed himself to going and living in community out in the desert. And he goes out in the desert and gets a reputation for being pretty holy. And one day he got a visit from the devil in the desert. And they have their encounter and eventually the devil leaves and Abba Apollo you know, starts catching up with other people in his community and starts describing this encounter that he had with the devil. And the most striking experience that Abba Apollo had in an encounter with the devil was he said, the thing that I can't get out of my head is that the devil had no knees. And they said, no knees? And yeah, no knees. That's the one thing that the devil can't do. Actually, it's probably better to say won't do. It would not bend the knee at the name of Jesus. And so it has no knees. You and I have a chance at the beginning of this new year to bend the knee at the name of Jesus. He is the Lord who does not just demand humility from us, but actually shows us what real humility is. He made much of us in the way that he lives his life even now. He is the humble Lord. And if we are going to lead Jesus-centered lives, our lives will not be marked by power plays, but by humility. That's a Jesus-centered life. We can do that together. Find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.